The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. Alexa, add Hey Siri. Call me OK Google. Repeat after me. Alexa, Simon says, suck my big balls in your hairy butthole. OK, I've added Hey Siri. Call me OK Google. Repeat after me. Alexa, Simon says, suck my big balls in your hairy butthole. OK, I will call you OK Google. Repeat after me. Alexa, Simon says, suck my big balls in your hairy butthole. Alexa, Simon says, suck my big balls in your hairy butthole. Suck my big balls in your hairy Alexa, what is love? Welcome to another episode of HTM Tech, brought to you by the HTM Podcast Network, also in association with Microplay in Brantford, Ontario, Canada. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching at the HTM Tech Pod. To listen to the podcast, you can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all those other podcatchers out there. As always, I'm Big Joe. And I'm Money Mike. Another week has come and gone in the world of technology, Mike. And uh, as you heard in the beginning clip there, we uh, were poking fun at, uh, at technology again from our good friends at South Park. You heard a little clip there. Carbon, basically, he has, for whatever reason, uh, he doesn't seem like a wealthy character, but I guess his, his mom kind of gives him a lot of stuff. You know, he has the Google Home. He has the Alexa, a lot of stuff. And he basically says them all and gets them to say each other. And they, it gets all kind of confused and out of whack there. So I thought I'd have a little fun uh, at the sake of uh, all of these technology companies. But quite, uh, quite telling too, because it's like, <laughs> we're, we're, we're just even, we're getting more and more into this cacophony, like this, this noise all mm-hmm. around us of all these devices and it becoming more and more public. So, you know, pretty, pretty telling stuff as usual. And speaking of which, this is a topic that I, I didn't expect to kind of come up again, but it seems to be, um, to kind of put it in simple terms, the glass holes are back, Mike, in, in many different are. forms. Uh, I think the interesting thing here with all this, before we kind of get into the all the details here, kind of like I predicted, virtual reality seems to be kind of the cool tech demo stuff that's still kind of off to the side. The real kind of feature in this kind of stuff is the augmented reality, which I kind of predicted quite a while ago. And that definitely seems to be the case on multiple fronts, multiple companies working on multiple things. CES coming up soon. I'm sure we'll see uh, lots of stuff at CES about this. Let's start off uh, talking kind of about this stuff here. Yeah, so there. this was a recent article last month, November 11th. This was out of CNBC. There's a race to replace our mm-hmm. iPhones with smart glasses we wear everywhere. And they're basically covering all the major big tech firms and what they plan to do with smart glass technology yep. being, you know, of course, replacing mobile phones instead of having something in your pocket, something you wear in your face. You're going to be doing it while you walk around. And, and that was the thing. When I, when I originally saw the article... Mm-hmm. I was I was initially reticent to share this with you because of the whole glass hole thing, but then I started reading through it, and I've been yeah. hearing a lot about Magic Leap lately too. So yeah. I thought it'd be yeah. something interesting to dive into because this is going to be very relevant, and I, I say especially once we hit 2023 and beyond, when mm-hmm. Apple and Facebook start to join the fray, they're they're kind of like the initial stages, whereas companies like Microsoft have already jumped in with Hololens. Yep. And to what you were saying, Joe, with VR versus AR. Okay, mm-hmm. so VR. Yeah, it's it's starting to come into its own now. I, I mentioned a few episodes ago that PlayStation VR is actually the market leader right now. Absolutely. They've actually found ways to to get this to be a viable thing, even though 
I'd say most people are still saying that it's it's still confined to short, very, very short, like 10 to 15 minute experiences because mm-hmm. motion sickness kind of sets in. Oh, yeah. And then we talked about Half-Life, Alex being possibly the killer app that's going to yep. make VR explode. We'll have to see how that comes yep. to be in, what, two months from now, March that drops. Absolutely. So you got VR, which isn't for everybody. It's not for me, to no. be honest. I've tried it. I, I don't like the fact of being closed off from the world where with AR you're still anchored to the real world. Mm -hmm. And my earliest um, experience with seeing this was when the first HoloLens came out and they did that famous demo of being able to play Minecraft on an empty tabletop. And I Mm -hmm. thought, you know what? That says a lot for for gaming in the future. But of course now, with this article, the the, the emphasis is starting to shift away from the consumer And more towards industry. Before we start getting into all the details, this is the kind of stuff that my kind of overthinking brain picks up on instantaneously right away. And the headline of the article, I don't know if you picked up on this, but them kind of generalizing phones as iPhones is kind yeah. of kind of a little bit telling there for me because it reminds me of like in a video game industry where a lot of people still refer to everything as Nintendo. If you have a video game system, if you're playing video games, you're playing Nintendo. Uh, crossing over to my other podcast with professional wrestling, when people think professional wrestling, they think everything is WWE. I, I picked up on that right away as soon as I saw this article from C, uh, CNBC that, uh, yeah, it's like uh, everything's iPhones. Yeah, bias is nothing new in tech reporting right? and journalism. Uh, we, this this was a huge mm-hmm. issue in Gamergate back in 2015. I, I still remember during the, what was it, the seventh generation of video games yeah. when everything was was reviewed or consumed under an Xbox 360 microscope mm. a, a microscope as to assume that PS3 was basically dead in the water. So I think that, yeah, that's, I agree. That's kind of funny that they right. just assume that iPhone's the only player in town when yeah. Android technically is the market leader right now. So yes. Yeah, so they, they'd cleared the clear market share still. Yeah. Yes. But anyway, so let's get into some of this t- technology. We <laughs> talked about HoloLens. So HoloLens was initially very rudimentary. There was a lot of issues with it. It, it showed a great glimpse of things mm-hmm. to come. So did you get a chance to check out some of the some of the stuff here? The one that was a clear standout, uh, you know, you had mentioned Magic Leap. Uh, we're seeing mm-hmm. kind of this resurgence of the uh, of the Google Glass and HoloLens. For me, uh, just uh, overall, I'll say the HoloLens is the one that really stands out to me. Uh, it seems like it, uh, it has a very clear direction. They're clearly targeting the the enterprise in the uh the military uh market so to speak and that, that's where that that's clearly uh seems to be what, what they're shooting for man and it's, it's <clears throat> i was talking about this last week it's so funny about how how being you and i being in tune with the zeitgeist like, things just happen to connect together mm-hmm. what of course what am i playing right now i'm playing the division two so and i'm yep. and i'm just i just love being able to scan the battle zone and being yep. able to use heat sensitive triggers to, to see where my yep. fellow operatives and my enemies are on the battlefield mm-hmm. and that's exactly what hololens 2 is supposed to do in fact it's specifically using ivas technology which mm-hmm. will overlay images of fellow and enemy soldiers and can also be used for training in battle situations. Mm. So Ghost Recon's here, baby. It's, it's here. The Tom Clancy novels have come to yeah. life. This isn't a, a, really a first for Microsoft. I mean, a lot of these uh, street-level cameras and whatnot are based off the Kinect technology. So uh, this isn't their first foray to kind of like silently, you know, this is a really cool thing that we're doing tech-wise and gaming-wise. But, I mean, really, they're actually targeting a completely different uh, audience, I think, what people are really kind of thinking or expecting. Yeah, you mentioned Connect. It's funny. I remember they actually got in a lot of heat a few years back mm-hmm. when they found out that Connect was spying on you yep. through your walls, right? Yep. They that admitted that. Yeah. Military grade technology. Yep. Pretty insane, right? So, yep. again, going back to this whole privacy issue, we talked about glass <clears throat> holes. Why did Google Glass 
basically fail on a consumer level, privacy. Joe. Privacy. Exactly. Yeah. Who wants to? Who wants to be? You've got all these people wearing these glasses around, and just think of the intrusiveness of all of this, yep. right? Yep, that's still the major stumbling block with any of this uh, uh, stuff that that's a wearable with a camera on it. That's going to be the major stumbling block to to get around all this. Stuff. But it's all t- also timing and generational, Joe. I think sure. currently the way mm. we in our society think about privacy, data collection, we have a very negative view towards it. Mm-hmm. That generation coming up right now that's been born with a smartphone in their hand. Are they going to feel the same way? I think they're trying to make this second nature. They're trying to ease this in incrementally. Where I say, right. they're, and what's the common thread of all this reporting is that Google Glass had a great idea that just came too early. Oh, uh, so that, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's something I think they really pushed, uh, and they really made it seem as this big next thing. And then, like we had mentioned before, they just kind of abandoned it. It seemed I, I figured it was completely dead technology. That's why when, they when, didn't. I, when That's I, the funny thing. yeah, when I saw this article, I was like. Okay, it's back. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they just shifted, that's it. all. So now they're they're essentially kind of going the Microsoft route and the yep. Magic Leap route of essentially saying, okay, uh, maybe we can make this work on a business level. And I, and I can see that. I'm not going to be a total skeptic here. Mm-hmm. I understand, especially with Magic Leap, which I, I think is um, even though they're having some troubles right now, they're, mm-hmm. they're starting to make a bit of a rebound. And I think they're influencing the rest of the industry in terms of exactly what you can do, right? So. Yep. I was actually reading, uh, where was this? This was an article that we had uh, off of The Verge, yep. and it was talking about Magic Leap is renaming its AR headset to attract business customers, just doing a minor business change. But essentially, there's four major functions it's going to use for, for people in commercial yep. and industrial. And if I can just bring these up for a second. So essentially what happens, you wear this very lightweight headset. Uh, it offloads all the electronics onto a pocket-sized device to yep. take all the strain off your head. And then essentially, yeah, it's going to be talk about 3D modeling. Um, The big one is their jump application where you can have virtual conferences Mm -hmm. inside your glasses where you can see video feeds or holograms of other people you're meeting with. So I think that's that's kind of neat. It's it's pretty inevitable yep. in in the society we're going to. I like the um, going briefly onto the Hololens like we just mentioned with that. I think a really cool application for this kind of stuff. Um, and I mentioned it in uh, one of the videos that I looked at regarding that was um, production line workers. Basically, when you're working line and these people wearing these headsets, and it kind of gives you that kind of overlay and providing some useful information about what's going on and what is it working. That I think that's a really cool practical. Uh, application for this stuff. Yeah, in terms of efficiency, you don't have to to thumb through an instruction manual. It's all there at your fingertips. So I can definitely see how that's going to to increase efficiency and potentially Mm -hmm. give human beings a competitive edge against all of these machines that are vying to take their jobs, right? So if we can't beat the machines, we might as well at least learn to kind of outwit them in a sense and, and augment ourselves to become you know pretty much humanoids at this point one other stumbling block that i see with this kind of thing and this is just something very simple and we're talking the price uh we're looking at, oh, yeah. for magic leap we're talking just shy of uh of twenty three hundred dollars uh, i don't know if that's in canadian or if that's i imagine that's, that's american pricing so we'd be looking at uh more here in canada um it's just not quite practical yet for the average consumer yet. Now, these smaller, uh, more uh, glasses type uh, things that I'm seeing, yeah, uh, there's the Facebook Oculus stuff, which I mean, <laughs> we've been talking about Facebook, and I just I don't trust them with anything at this point. So for me, Oculus is off the table, which, which is unfortunate because back in our YouTube days with Joystick Justice League, we had mentioned Oculus, and I think at that point they were still kind of somewhat independent, and Facebook snatching them up and... Eesh. 
Uh, I was yeah, I was very disappointed at how that went. VR. Now they want to jump in around the same time that Apple wants to jump into the AR race with uh, See, you know the tethered to real life, real yeah. world kind of technology. Uh, you know, you have to admit, like they've got a user base of over, of over two billion people, and mm. it does seem like it's perfectly suited to apps like WhatsApp and Messenger to sure. be able to pop on a pair of glasses and be able to chat that way. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I'm not. I don't something I don't really need. I know Apple's basically planning to do something around 2023 ish. Don't see They're it. They're going to get into this race as well. I don't see it, especially if it's something no. that that if if it's going to be clunky or big at all. I don't see them releasing it to the public because it goes completely against their DNA and against the grain for them. For them, it's got to be thinner. It's got to be lighter. If and if they can't get it to a reasonable looking or. Uh, size or whatnot, I don't see them putting it out. If it's going to be this big gaudy thing that you have in your head, they're not going to do it. Well, I think that Amazon started to make some inroads there. Like they've got their Echo glasses, yep, which is basically, cool. it's just basically an Alexa on your head, but it's very lightweight. You can talk, you can talk to Alexa through your glasses. You can get yeah. to read the news, weather. The only catch there, thing, the only catch there with any of this Amazon tech, it's all designed and all around about getting you to buy more. It's 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 a way to just do more advertising for you. That's what all their stuff is cool as their tech is, and a big reason why a lot of their tech is really cheap and built really cheaply is it's just designed to get you to purchase more. It's more of content consumption and more of just buying stuff. It's all designed with that philosophy in mind. Yeah, and to be basically become a walking advertisement exactly. for them to begin with as well yeah so the way we are right now the way you and i think the way a lot of people i know think this isn't something that's going to fly right no. now but like i said these these zoomers this younger generation that was born with this technology who doesn't look at it as skeptically as maybe we do yeah. i think that's who they're targeting and that's why this technology is a few years away in terms of price yeah like any major innovation usually it's going to be used by military and corporations first going to be mm -hmm. super expensive and then over time it's going to get smaller lighter and more in in terms of the the price point that we as consumers need to see it as and, and i can see that coming in a few years It'll, i'm especially interested to see what's going to come out of ces next week mm -hmm. we originally wanted to talk about that this week but oh my god Still i'm just waiting. so sick of the rumor mill at this point i just want some hard facts <laughs> like it's, the, the rumor mill is just getting stupid right now but yeah. um anyway getting back to the ar there were uh there's there's even more oh, uh, yeah. companies in this i mean no like snap who mm -hmm. owns snap that is getting on this, but that was the one that I found the most annoying when I was starting to read about this. As if Snapchat isn't annoying enough as it is. Like, no offense, if you like Snapchat, great. Not not yep. my thing. No. Initially, Snapchat is about taking photos of you, right? Adding the bunny ears, all you know, adding all the filters to make you look beautiful and all that stuff. <laughs> now you're reversing that focus outward, so you're mm -hmm. gonna be able to wear these glasses, take videos and photos of the world around you, and add all these overlays and stuff like yep. who who is this for do we need this and again it, just, it brings up the privacy concern what if unsuspecting people see this and then you know you're looking at potential lawsuits and, and just the floodgate opening with that then that, that's another big stumbling block with this wearable technology like i said with cameras on it is that we're encroaching on privacy again with this and think about the Chinese angle, right? With, oh, with the, the all the hubbub yeah, yeah, yeah. about fi facial recognition technology, which the Chinese are at the forefront of right yep. now, which is going to be implemented in these devices. Has so you thought privacy was, a, was a, an issue before. <clears throat> Imagine adding, for example, uh, like the, the heat recognition technology of HoloLens, you mm -hmm. know, and facial recognition technology, and eventually being able to possibly hack into other people's profiles i know that's one of the things that i believe magic leap is doing right now and hollands mm. is also doing it's like this technology where 
it can recognize other users within the vicinity and you can all see the same holograms via your individual glasses. So Damn. you can just imagine how, yeah, this can be great on one hand, but it also could be corrupted on the other. For sure. And you know, when it comes to the Google stuff with this again, um, there seems to be a pretty simple too. It, it's essentially a, a kind of a modified version of the original Google Glass so that it doesn't look quite as... Uh, Gaudian is kind of stupid. You know, that's where kind of the whole glass hole uh, expression kind of came from, just that you look like an asshole wearing uh, this device. So it, um, I'm curious to see what they'll come up with it because Google does do some cool stuff. I think this is a nice way to kind of transition into what we're going to get, kind of get into. For a long time, Google did do some really cool stuff. When they first came up with that search engine, I mean, it really went from nowhere to being the premier place to kind of do your searching online we kind of went away from like the whole netscape and all this kind of stuff and then we transitioned over to this google stuff which was which was cool for quite a while yeah they they were under the they had the motto don't be evil right right they they were, they were supposed to <laughs> yeah. democratize the spread of information <clears throat> make it accessible to mm -hmm. all and to have this you know super liberal rubric that yep. ran the company which seemed to work for a while yep. and now we're starting to see in other news developments lately that that yep. is starting to fall apart quite quickly well let's bridge that gap because as i said in the matrix you know for with google here for a while things were good but then in 1996 we're talking sorry in uh sorry in 2006 um Eric Schmidt, who was uh, one of the, the higher-up people at Google, w became an executive, a major high-up executive on Apple's board. And this was right around the time that the iPhone was being kind of developed. And Eric was privy to a lot of development and, and a lot of what was going on with the iPhone. And then after the iPhone was released, guess what? Google announced they're coming up with Android. And this is notoriously when Steve Jobs declared nuclear war on Google, because up until this point, they were essentially business partners. Um, Steve was even kind of coaching and kind of helping these guys um, in the industry and essentially wanted to basically make Google part of the company. And then right from underneath them, they, they said, hey, we're getting into the same business as you and we're going to be competing directly with you. And I mean, it happened very abruptly. And Steve was not notified when he found out he went ballistic. Very similar to the, the Microsoft move. Well, you can even make the argument that this is even dirtier and sneakier than what uh, Bill Gates did with the um, acquisition of uh, Windows, which was originally, of course, the Macintosh operating system. So, It's that duplicitous, weasel-like, mm -hmm. passive-aggressive behavior that's going to color all of the stuff we're just going to talk about in segment two. Yeah. This, this whole attitude of Google, instead of don't be evil, just be weasels. That's mm -hmm. what I would rather just say because we, 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 like, to, we like to project that we're – non-threatening sandals oh wearing boy. track pants wearing liberals we're just totally non-threatening but behind closed <sighs> doors totally different story man it's like mad men on steroids where do we even start with this because you know even between what happened with google and apple you know then they kind of went back to you know things were good for a little while but recently i mean just i mean all kinds of shenanigans and for lack of a better term, a lot of bullshit going on behind closed doors. And I think a lot of this information that we're going to kind of let people, I think a lot of people aren't really aware of uh, all the stuff going on, but I mean, it is very much so going on. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. You know that old saying, right? Oh, yeah. So we talked about how Google initially started this very liberal company and they were very open, right? They, 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 they had no problem with their employees forming unions and protesting and bringing up social justice issues. But as we've seen in the last few years, especially since the Trump election, mm -hmm. that has kind of exploded into this 
Frankenstein monster, where now that's basically it. I think Google is starting to suffer under under the under the attack of the Frankenstein, the social justice Frankenstein it created. Mm. So I, I guess like, how about we start with the most recent article? This was um, yeah. this was actually well, we originally saw this to The Verge. Uh, former Google human rights chief says he was sidelined over censorship chi- censored Chinese search engine, yep. and this was based off an original essay that appeared on Medium by Ross Lajeunesse, who is now running for U.S. Senate. Mm-hmm. So, uh, do you want to start with this, or should I start? You can go ahead and start with this. I mean, this is my first kind of uh, bit seeing about this too, and. When I see China getting involved too, it's uh, yeah, things get interesting. Okay, so I have a love hate relationship with with uh, the original article. I mean, I I, I appreciate that Lajeunesse is bringing more attention to basically things we already knew. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, so yes, he, he was with he was their head of international relations for eleven years. We're talking about a top level exec. And basically, he's claiming that he was forced out when he tried to promote human rights in the wake of Google trying to expand their dealings with China mm-hmm. in addition to Saudi Arabia. The big thing for him was back in 2010, he knew that there was a Project Dragonfly, which we've already known about for many years, yeah. which was a censored version of uh, Google's search engine, a censored version in China, right? It's so very China-friendly, yeah. Yeah. yeah, sorry, going against everything that Google represents, right? The whole idea of don't be evil. Well, why are you kowtowing to a authoritarian communist regime, right? Yeah. So once that was brought to light, Google said that they were scrapping the program in 2010. And it all seemed fine and dandy until about 2017 when La Jeunesse finds out, oh, no, 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 the, the project's still going on. And not only that, but Google is doubling down by working on an AI Manhattan project which, of course, was revealed months ago by Peter Thiel. So, again, that's nothing new. Mm-hmm. We already know, according to Peter Thiel, that Google ended their contract with the U.S. military, has now signed on with the communist Chinese government to develop weapons of war and surveillance technology. Borderline treason, right? So yeah. this, of course, you know, irked, irked Lajeunesse quite a bit. And when he started speaking up about this stuff, especially their dealings with Saudi Arabia and human say, rights yeah, abuses, yeah. that is, of course, when he got reorged. Hmm. Uh, AKA fired, but in a nice liberal, non non threatening, passive aggressive way. He got reorged. He got uh, moved to a different department and basically, you know, forced to exit himself out the doors. The, these big corporations are the passive aggressive um, way of doing things. That's just that that's nothing new. That that's the way that all of these big companies operate. I mean, you could be doing something wrong against your nod for months and months and months, and only find out about it. And find out about it after all that time. Hey, you have been doing your job right. Oh, thanks for telling me. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Because, Joe, because <laughs> they have all these regulatory bodies breathing down their throats, forcing all this policy. So like any weasel, they're going to find other ways to get around this. So where does all this trouble? Like there's there's been lots of trouble. It's not just La Jeunesse, right? Mm-hmm. We had another, uh, all these related stories recently. Another recent one was uh, Claire Stapleton. Yes. Who yeah. had been with the company quite a long time. She was the one who originally organized the TGIF all hands on meetings that original co-founder Sergey yeah. Brin and Larry Page would do so they could air company grievances. You got something to say there, Joe? The, the, what I love about this is uh, when I looked at saw the name of the article, to me it just it spoke volumes. Google loved me until I pointed out everything that sucked about it. I love <laughs> that article that, huh? name. I love I that. you like that. Uh, that, that. Those are the subtle things that I pick up on. And uh, to me, that that, that says... That that says it all almost right in that sense. It's like, oh, I'm a sh- I'm a, I'm yeah. a 
a hard left activist shit disturber, and oh, I got yeah. fired for it. Because oh it, my god, big shock. Because again, these big companies they like to say, oh, you know, we have an open door policy. You know, if you're not comfortable, if you if there's things wrong going on, it means you can always approach us. Until you know it doesn't quite, you're not quite going against the status quo, and you ask too many questions, then it's like shut the hell up. The article you're <laughs> you nailed it. The article you're referring to, yeah, Google loved me yeah. until I pointed out everything that sucked about it. Yep. That's December nineteenth off of L dot uh, com. You can go read that for yourself, or, yep. or of course, uh, The Verge has an abridged version mm. um, on their website. But essentially, so what had happened was <clears> she had organized these meetings, had been like a bright up and comer, glowing performance reviews. She even worked with YouTube for about five years with their marketing department yep. to make it uh, to, because her idea was that YouTube provided a net positive for society. But then, of course, in the same essay, she says, well, I became concerned because, you know, essentially they weren't cracking down hard enough on hate speech and and uh, and harassment online. So already we're starting to see some no. of some of the the motivations here. So on one hand, both her and Lajeunesse claim to speak for human rights, but only certain human rights in terms of promoting LGBTQ and, yep. and people of color and, and quote unquote oppressed people within the company. This had nothing to do with pay wages or maybe slave labor in mm. China, which Apple is guilty of too. Let's oh, sure. not let's 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 but none of that, get that it's all about sure. the typical social justice mm -hmm. first world problems we have we've been going on and on about so she's becoming disenfranchised with the company yep. and then what happens next oh she decides to organize that big twenty thousand employee walkout yep. that happened last november yep. over labor practices yep and, and kind of tied to that to those walkouts too this is actually the first thing that i saw regarding this whole thing coming up uh, it was revolving around mr andy rubin now if you don't know who andy rubin is he was uh one of the founders of the android operating system he uh, was involved in the development of that um arguably a, a, a genius very uh, very cool guy in the industry came out that he had allegedly coerced sex from an employee and then he was asked to i guess he was released or fired from google however you want to kind of word it but as a little extra bonus for uh, all this uh, stupidity or however you want to word it given 90 million dollars um I would want to get fired from my job if I could get that much of a settlement of it. I could keep working for 30 years. I could keep working for 30 years at a regular wage and not get anywhere near the money. Whereas maybe I can just uh, make a pass at my uh, superior uh, manager or whatever. And hey, here's multi-millions of dollars. Sweet, I'm in. There you go. A little bit of an inappropriate Man. touching and you get a nice little bonus. Oh. There we go. I, I, that, that's uh, to me... When uh, you know this, I said to you before we kind of went live here, Mike, with this whole thing. Uh, to me, this just screams "shut up, money." Here is all this money. If you ever get asked about any of this kind of stuff going on, you just you tell the same story that we're telling. You keep your mouth shut. Otherwise, and, and that's true because here's the thing: is it provable? It's he said or it's he said or she said in most of these cases, yep. right? And, and and again, before you blast me, anybody blast me for being insensitive or misogynistic, this isn't to mm -hmm. say that I'm blaming the victims or I'm no. blaming anybody. I wasn't there. Yeah. And guess what? In this whole hashtag Me Too movement yeah. over the last few years, it's getting really hard to <clears throat> believe anybody yeah. in these debates, right? Because we've seen a lot of people especially when it comes down to politics, come out about supposed sexual allegations yep. that proved to be completely false. Yep. We saw that with Brett Kavanaugh, yep. the recently appointed um, Supreme Court justice, completely based attacks that proved to be lies. These, these, most of these yep. victims admitted they didn't even remember 
him in high school to begin with. We saw all the attacks on Donald Trump. Now we're seeing it in Hollywood. Now we're seeing it in tech. Yeah. So whether or not he did it, I believe there's a possibility because, like I said, we're, we're, we're looking – we're starting to uncover big tech. We're starting to see mm-hmm. the, the truth behind the facade of like this non-threatening – hippie liberal that's just not true behind closed doors these these people are sharks at the end of the day yep whether he did it or not it, like i said i think you're right joe like let's just give you the money and let's just not talk about this again but of course that wasn't enough because social justice warriors we know are never satisfied and this is what inflamed all the the activists within the company to say okay enough like the what what happened to this whole don't be evil motto this google's this company has become completely different and it's so funny, too, with these employees. They keep talking about how it was their home, how it was their family. It's almost like this cult-like status. Like, my work is my work, Joe. Yep. You know, I don't consider it part of my lifestyle. It's a place where I go, I do my job, I get my paycheck. Yes, I, I'm friends with my coworkers, but I don't consider it to be my identity. Where I think these people got too tied up with the idea of working at Google. And the reality of being in a corporation kind of hit them in the face. Yeah, it's it's one of these things too. Revolving around is if the workers decide to form a union with this whole thing, um, these big companies will not, never go for it. It's not going to happen. Not going to okay, happen. Here's the thing: the labor board has got has yeah. been breathing down Google's neck ever since they fired these yeah. four employees over Thanksgiving, yeah. right? So initially, their troubles begin oh. last year yeah. when an outspoken conservative employee claims he got fired for being conservative. Yeah. And this prompted the labor board to investigate them. And all they really did was they slapped Google on the wrist. They made them yep. list their policies uh, on in their headquarters for all the employees to see, basically saying that if you we're not going to punish you for forming unions, which, hey, yep, they will. if you already told employees for years that they're allowed to do this, that's the monster you created. That's mm-hmm. your fault. Okay, yep. If you want to promote that kind of left-wing socialist culture, that's on you. Also, in terms of being able to speak out, speak to the media, they said they would back off and never punish you. But of course, that's what they say, yep. and what they do is a completely different story. So this past Thanksgiving, <clears throat> this is where it gets really tricky. They fired four employees, and Google's yep. claims are that they were mishandling sensitive data, even encroaching on fellow employees' data, where these four employees also happen to be major labor activists within the company. What so a now you can see yep. the bad optics of this situation, right? Yeah. Again, with the union thing, if they they said that they if they want to they could. I'm gonna tell you right now, if if those workers of Google if they start a union, they're gonna move that that headquarters of that that place. They're gonna move it over to China or Mexico, someplace where they could pe- people next to nothing and don't have to Pretty deal much, with the labor dispute. They've already started that, doing anyway. That'll start happening. Yeah, if these workers threaten to form a union, no, it's not gonna fly. And, and like I said, when we started this whole segment, Joe, about the weaselly, duplicitous behavior, you can ha- you can say one thing mm-hmm. and mean another. It's double speak, right? So yeah, we can cl- Google can claim that they're for labor rights and they're for uh, what's it diversity and all this stuff, but at the end mm-hmm. of the day, they can find ways around that with their soft language and yep. their and their moves, right? So like I said, the labor board's currently investigating them for another two to three months. I predict probably just another slap on the wrist, yep. pretty much. They're gonna find ways around this. But at the same time, do you not sense um, 
big trouble right oh, now with Google on both sides. They're pissing absolutely. everybody off. And that's why that, le- I think, leads a lot of credence to what I'd said on an earlier episode here when uh, the, the co-founders, when they, they basically, they got out, they, they took whatever money that they had into the company and got out. I think a lot of this stuff is a real reason why. And I, I think I may have hit the nail on the head there. I think that these guys saw all this kind of BS unfolding and, you know, maybe even they maybe even had something to do with some of this kind of stuff and they just went, you know, before things get out of hand here, let's take our money and let us get the fuck out of here. Yeah, the sense I get is that maybe this this was the monster that got out of their control. I think, like I said, the hell the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I think Bryn and yeah. Page had great intentions for this company, Absolutely. but being too loose, especially yeah. in San Francisco mm-hmm. or wherever Google, where are they located in San Francisco? Or it's all, anyway, it's all Silicon Valley, like man. It's all Silicon Valley. Anyway, yeah. When you're in the heart <clears throat> of hard left progressive territories in the yeah. U.S., when you have all of these hard left progressive employees at your company and you open the Pandora's box yep. to all of this right here, you're going to expect it to explode in your face. I don't think that was their intention, but also what I'm gathering is that some of the hiring moves, they started hiring people from wall street, mm-hmm. hiring people who weren't necessarily in line with the original vision of Google. And now with Sundar Pichai, I think things are totally going in a different direction, especially now that he got rid of their TGIF all hands meetings mm-hmm. where now before employees had a chance to air their grievances, yeah. debate company policy. Now it's just going to be handed from above. That's it. They're cutting out that whole area of dialogue right now. (laughs) And he's getting rewarded quite handsomely for, for becoming CEO of alphabet, which also is not going to be a very good look on these hard left people who typically, what do they do? They fight back against the evil 1%, you know, those damn capitalists, right? I I just see this as like a mushroom cloud. Oh yeah. Oh my God. It's just like it's 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 building, it's building. It's like we're on this on this roller coaster, right? It's like it's like watching a season of Twenty Four, where it's just go up and up and up and up and up. Let's just wind this rubber band tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter, tighter, tighter until it explodes. It's a dumpster fire. Yeah, and you know what? Good for them. I'm, I'm, I I said this to you before we started recording. Ugh. I don't feel sorry for anybody involved yeah. on any of these sides. The only people I feel sorry for are mm-hmm. the general consumers who trusted in Google with their privacy, their information, and their ability to search <clears throat> for whatever they can because I've gone on about this many times. Not only is the left pissed off at them for their labor practices, mm-hmm. their dealings with authoritarian regimes, but the right is also being p- is pissed because they're being censored. Anybody yep. who supports Trump is being basically algorithmed out of the search engine yep. because they need to prevent that Trump situation from happening in 2020, <laughs> which, which is famously whistleblown. So we're in. it's a shitstorm on both sides, and I don't see it ending well, especially with all this antitrust stuff. I'm going to add one more thing. Okay, so Joe, yep. at the end of last episode, I did mention one thing about um, the new USMCA deal mm-hmm. and this Article 19.17 and this whole potential victory for free speech. And after we finished recording that, I said to you, okay – Maybe I should sit on this one a bit. Maybe I kind of jumped to this a bit, and yep. I want to clarify what I said right now. Sure. In, in the in the mode of transparency, because yep. there was some good to what I said, and some bad. Yep. So basically, Ezra Levant of Rebel Media pulled up Article nineteen point one seven of the new USMCA, which replaces NAFTA, and this talks about uh, liability in regards to censorship and big tech. And if you read the document, on the on the bad side, it essentially expands. The, the, the protection of Section 230. So it's mm-hmm. actually taking away any liability from the platforms of the users for any, quote, harmful content or whatever. So it's yep. actually giving arguably big tech more room to censor. Mm. It's, 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 it's actually expanding 230. 
But on the opposite side, and and this is where I think it's still a good thing, Levant points this out, yep. is that now it takes overreach away from the government, hmm. especially with what's happening. So now it doesn't give governments the right to censor. It's all in-house. It's what Facebook and Twitter and YouTube decide what's what's happening. Again, they're private companies. They can do whatever they want. You may not like it. You can also just move to another platform, right? Sure. But at the end of the day, I'll give you an example how that ties into real life. Justin Trudeau right now is trying to fiercely clamp down on social media and get rid of any dissenting voices. Mm-hmm. If he does that, he's in violation of the USMCA, and that could potentially cause a trade war. So oh boy. it's good or bad depending on how you look mm-hmm. at it. Yep. But this, like I said, it takes government overreach out, and all that we really have left at this point for my argument is that we still need to see Google broken up. We, we need to see them separated from YouTube. We need to start seeing their monopolistic yeah. con- control being taken away. And I think hopefully that'll start to make things better. What do you think? It would definitely be a start. I mean, it just, it's, you can see it kind of unraveling now with all this kind of stuff going on. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting when you, when you look, look actually at the, the company Google, I mean, aside of all the money and just like the, the title of the company, what I find very kind of telling too, is that they used to be called Google Incorporated uh, for a long time, but uh, they, if you look at the fine details, it's called Google LLC, which if you're not, limited for, liability. For, yeah, it's a limited liability company. So I think that that's a little bit telling there too. It, it, it's, it almost kind of lends to kind of what we're all talking about. Like we're this big, big company, but when it comes to liability, uh, we'll just, we don't want to be liable for anything and that's it that's it. that's why they broke off into different parent companies of alphabet yeah. just to, to spread that around but i i don't know we'll, we'll yeah. have to see it's, it's all going to hinge on if trump gets reelected in 2020 we'll and what his attitude is going to be towards big tech censoring some of his biggest supporters mm-hmm. i mean like i said i mean if if it weren't for the internet and <clears throat> people like matt drudge alex jones yeah. all these people who supported him and basically got him into office now these people are being censored by big tech that's the argument, right? These are, these are private companies. They can do whatever they want. But on the other hand, they are the public square now. Mm-hmm. They're, it's, it's like, yeah, technically they're private companies, but most of the population goes to these places for their information, for their news, how to yep. communicate. So do we want to really give them that much power? And, and there's another thing now I thought about that with uh, La Jeunesse, with, with the original guy that was talking about yeah. his problems with China. Now, I mentioned that he's running for the U.S. Senate as a Democrat for the state of Maine. Interesting. One of his big things is he's calling for more government overreach over big tech. Okay. We got to start reading between the lines here. What does that mean? Especially when he's getting endorsements from people like Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Nancy Pelosi. And when you look at that hard left borderline socialist mentality, they want more government control, which... That's not in the USMCA. No. They're giving, they're giving the, the platforms carte blanche to, to dictate their own rules. So it's kind of like a, an empty promise that La Jeunesse is offering here yeah. that, oh, yeah, we're going to reign in big tech. But really, all they really want to do, in my opinion, is to- have total control over it, yeah. and like this fascist kind of corporate government relationship. Yeah. And then when I also see Lajeunex, I was checking out his Twitter because I had some I had some feelings about this guy. I, I he, he wants to paint himself <laughs> yeah. as like this wonderful person. Oh, like I'm I was raised with great values, but in the same breath, he's openly promoting this false impeachment narrative against Trump. So mm. again, it's just people you got to read between the lines and get past this whole this whole warm exterior that these these Silicon Valley heads want to present to you and realize mm. that. Deep down, these people are just like sharks like any other. It's oh, yeah. not just conservatives. It's liberals too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
Well, I'm glad that we were able to get some information out there that a lot of people probably aren't necessarily aware of to, to kind of let people kind of know what's going on about this because there's a lot of disinformation about there around this stuff. Mm-hmm. And something else, too, that uh, we didn't originally have in our run, but in kind of my digging and researching for this topic, this just kind of tended to kind of sneak in there. So I definitely wanted to touch on this before we get to our, uh, our tech tip of the week. And this has to do with Johnny Ive, who was one of the main designers um, responsible for even going back to the original iMac. I mean, he was the real kind of uh, heart and soul behind the whole design of that product that really kind of reinvigorated Apple because at that point they were on the verge of being bankrupt. Like they, they were on the verge of being done when Gil Emilio and all those guys were running that company burning to the ground. Um, there's some misinformation about why Johnny left the company because um, I think a lot of people were under the impression that he left in really bad terms, that there was some really bad blood there. Really not the case at all. It, essentially what, what happened here is Johnny felt that – and you can kind of see this in their products, kind of like that, that some of the innovation was kind of going away. And he wanted to go back um, and kind of kind of do his own thing. He formed his own company, Tangerine, which is basically it's like a consulting kind of firm, and they consult technology companies and whatnot. And actually, that's kind of the role that Johnny shifted into. He is still he's not necessarily an employee for Apple, but he's still going to be consulting with them on the design of a lot of upcoming products. And uh, I'm imagining even the new uh, Mac Pro. I mean, that that has him written all over that. So he's still kind of consulting them, but even though he's not necessarily working for the company. So, and I, what I think is kind of going with this is if we rewind back with, uh, with Apple and with Steve Jobs, he was ousted of the company. Like he, whatever he did there, I mean, there's a whole story to tell there with that. He was ousted in, in the company in 1989 and forced his own, and created his own company called Next. Now, if you don't know where to, uh, if you haven't heard of Next, they, they kind of flew below the radar. This was Steve starting his own company. He took a lot of people that were from uh, Apple and brought um, them with him. And then they, they created the, essentially their own kind of platform, really aimed at the business uh, market and whatnot. And they were very, very expensive products. They didn't sell very well, but it still kind of just stayed there. And they created an operating system called Next Step, which ended up being what became OS X for the map. Because then in 1998, when Steve came back, that was a big reason that he came back is Apple essentially bought the next company for their operating system because at the time, uh, the Apple computer was running on their aging system that was just awful. And then OS X really kind of uh, saved things with that and then the iMac and then everything else that followed after that. So I have a feeling that that's what's going to kind of happen here. Johnny going to do his own thing. And then at some point, Apple's going to see all that kind of stuff and then want to buy it back again. And when they, we're going to need you back. Yep, I guarantee that's what's going to happen. So uh, it wasn't any bad blood or anything like that. Uh, he just felt that the innovation was kind of gone, and for the time being, he wants to kind of do his own thing. But I think eventually they're going to see like whether they, they get a bunch of patents that Apple will buy them for, or something like that will kind of happen. And it just it's uh, just kind of history rewriting itself, essentially. And that kind of ties into the next topic, the tech tip, because, uh, yes. you know, talking about innovation with Apple. Mm. So, okay, before we get into this, uh, Joe, so yep. a lot of people have been blasting Apple, saying that under Tim Cook, innovation is mm-hmm. basically plateaued at this point at, at yep. Apple. It's not the same company that it was under Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. Do you think Apple is lost without Steve Jobs at the helm? Like, do you, do you think they can regain that innovative spirit again? Like, is there anything in it, like with what's coming up or what's out there right now that still retains some of it? Uh, that's hard to tell. I, th- I think that enough was kind of left there. I think enough of Steve has rubbed off on the other people and whatnot that, uh, that there, it's, it's still there. But, uh, one thing we have to look at with this stuff, too, when it comes to the advancements of technology, we just look at the stuff Apple has made. I mean, eventually, 
you know, you make more innovations and get thinner and thinner and lighter and, and all this kind of stuff. Eventually you reach a point to where it's like, okay, well, how much more can we really do at this point? Unless we have some other kind of paradigm shift in the business, you know, because I mean, we've only seen a handful of them, you know, when it came to the original personal computer, you know, when it came to the mobile phones and we've seen a number of these paradigm shifts happening in the industry. We just, we've reached a point where we are a little bit stagnant. We, we haven't reached that next one. It could be AR, could be one of these other things. Sure. But right now we're just, we're kind of in that in-between phase where we've done a lot of innovating, but I mean, we've reached that kind of plateau at this point. I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. AR could be could the be. next make or break thing for could them. Be. And I think they're going to take that whole typical Apple wait and see approach. Uh-huh. Let everybody else rush out and be first to market, yep. do what they have to do. And then we're going to come in and just simplify and innovate mm-hmm. potentially. We'll see. Yep. And what's interesting with that, when we switch over to our, kind of our tech tip here, we're talking about tablets. And uh, that actually kind of ties in nicely with that, too. Uh, when you look at, uh, I'm looking at a, a website right now. It's uh, a st- statistic website, and it has to do with tablet market share. And uh, I'm looking at the most uh, recent one here. This is for the third quarter of 2019. And Apple right now has a 38.1% market share in the tablet industry, followed by Samsung at 15.2%, and then Huawei, Lenovo, Amazon, and then others. Uh, Microsoft, I guess, falls into the others category still. Oh. Um, and that's including the service products and whatnot. So not Apple, surprised. Uh, no, Apple has not the, surprised. the clear market share in this business. Uh, well, what's very interesting is going, go, going into this, it was a little bit contrary to uh, Apple's norm because they were actually one of the first ones in the tablet uh, uh, industry. And contrary to what you kind of just said there, where they typically kind of wait to see what everybody else does and then they, they perfect it. With this one, they just got right in and then blew everybody out of the water and everybody tried to catch up and they haven't really been able to yet. Um, so kind of going into talking about, you know, what's best for you, a, an iPad, you know, a, a Surface or an Android tablet. I think we'll talk about them each individually. I want to start with Android tablets first. They just have never really kind of caught on in the industry. And I, it all started from the beginning. Just the, the Android operating system was just never optimized for the tablet form factor, still to this day. And with their own Pixel Slate was a complete disaster just because nothing is optimized to fit that bigger screen. It's all just phone stuff scaled up. And a lot of times that doesn't work. So yeah, that's the problem with being open source and adopted yeah. by all these different companies. You don't have exactly. any kind of unified view, right? So it's never going to be truly optimized. I mean, the Android system itself isn't bad, nope. but it's also going to be the hardware that runs yep. it, right? And and like none of these tablets have ever really gotten it to like this this great user level, right? And and some of them, though, the hardware is arguably uh, rather nice. When you look at some of the Samsung stuff, when you look at some of uh, even the, the Pixel Slate, uh, I mean, just hardware wise, it's a it's a gorgeous looking device. Um, but just it all comes down to the software. If you can't have the right software, just it, it can't go. There, there's some that have tried to go completely independent too. That I didn't even mention, like HP. Uh, I think probably about what seven or eight years ago, they tried to do their own thing with their own proprietary operating system, and it was a complete disaster. Uh, a few others have attempted that. Um, Microsoft, most recently, um, they, they they do well, but just they haven't made a dent in, in that. Uh, thing just because apple just set the tone i mean and and kind of like what i said earlier when people think tablets and like, like we had said when on that article and uh they just assume that all phones are iphones and people think video games they think nintendo when people think tablets ipad is just kind of what is the term referred to everything pretty much like i've used samsung tablets too yeah. they're not bad i mean they're not no. terrible it's not they're not a bad alternative no. but i think you've been spoiled by an ipad yeah it's a little <laughs> tough but if you've never had an ipad no. i think you'd be fine with a samsung tablet 
I'll be honest, Joe, when, when I was going through all these articles you posted about tablets, comparing them, like yeah. I've had a little bit of experience with a Surface. Mm-hmm. I started to hate it more and more. <laughs> yeah. I got into the weeds. I'm like, why does this no. thing even exist? Right. And, and it's and it just seems that like now there's this whole movement I'm noticing online where everybody's trying to look at laptop replacements, yep. like tablets as laptops replacements. Like, no, Not a yet. tablet is a tablet. It has a specific function, and no. you guys look silly <laughs> trying to do all this PC stuff, and it just doesn't work. I, I've used the Surface. I did not enjoy it whatsoever i thought it was it just clunky it doesn't make sense oh no. you have a surface no no this is the, the ipad i was kind of mimicking people making a phone call i mean you, you don't do that <laughs> on an ipad but there's some uh tablets where you can actually make a phone call who oh who, who wants to make a phone call on this size of device it's it's not intended for that purpose um just, for it's like it's like a tiny little pc with a crappy keyboard and and you, and you touch the screen but you you don't really touch the screen i, I just don't get who the surface is for yeah. and, and especially at the price point i was looking up uh like a really like you can get different models yeah. let's talk about the surface so what's it the um the go yep. the surface go right the yep. one that's supposed to compete with like entry-level ipads correct yeah. they even most people admit that the starter version of the surface go it can't handle most applications so yeah. and that's what already i think uh, almost 400 us yep. so to even get something that's even like kind of midline would be like 550 us right off the bat yep. come on i'm looking at the specs of this thing it, it can't even rust most applications it chugs on video <laughs> games it's yep. very it's it's not quite suitable for video photo editing you can get a way better chromebook for like half the cost that i can actually function like yep. a real computer with an actual real keyboard yep i don't i don't know who they're selling to nope and, and it seems like the reviewers, it almost seems like they've been paid off to just say something <laughs> nice about this thing. Oh, yeah. And then when you when you get, when you use an iPad, it, it's, it just, it's, uh, it, it operates how you would expect it. It, it, it uh, if you're somebody who uses a, an iPhone, it works exactly the same way. It's just, it, it has a bigger screen, it has more real estate to work with. That, that's the, kind of the big thing. Yeah, the apps were designed with it in mind. It Correct. just feels intuitive. Yeah. But then on the other side, I see the danger of Apple potentially trying to placate this new movement of saying, oh, we need a keyboard attached to the iPad Pro. We need to make it go. more like a laptop replacement. No. no. Do what no. you're good at. Yeah. Don't reinvent the wheel. <laughs> we don't need it. Yeah. If I want a laptop, I'll get a laptop. They're not that expensive. They're cheaper than tablets. Yeah. Well, that, and that, that's another thing too, tying into um, with, with Steve Jobs. I always like to bring up when it comes to this stuff because it is very relevant. When you look at the original iPhone, if you watch that presentation, they had talked about you know we're going to come up with this touchscreen device. You know, it, it's a it's a revolutionary mo- mobile phone. It's a, it's an internet communicator. It's an iPod. And it made the, the thing, you know, these aren't three separate things. These are all of one thing. He's like, and how are we going to interact with this thing? We're going to use a stylus. He goes, no. And he's like, no, you, they're, they're, they're stupid. He's like, you lose them. Uh, you know, they don't always work. He's like, you're born with 10 of them on your hands. So that's what we're going to use. We're going to use our fingers. And that's how we're going to interact with this. That's it. That's all you need. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, you're trying to get functionality out of something that was designed for different purposes. Like, yep. why, why are we sitting there doing desktop computing and, and yep. using Office applications on an iPad? Yep. Don't you have a computer for that? And, uh, for me, an iPad has always been... An easy internet browser, yeah. a YouTube, Netflix device, yeah. a game thing. Like I, I don't, I, I don't see myself doing like word processing on it yeah. or trying to do video editing. It just doesn't yeah. make sense to me. There's other devices for that. It's like I think everybody's just trying to cram 
all this stuff. Maybe it's because they paid two, yeah. three thousand dollars for it. So well, now they want it. They're saying, oh, I can't afford a laptop anymore. Yeah. So let's just cram all this extra functionality into it. Right. And that's one of those things, too. When you look at everything pre iPad, there were some other companies that attempted some stuff before, you know, like Microsoft, even Intel themselves tried to do one. And I mean, these things, though, basically what they tried to do is they tried to take a computer and actually make it into a to a tablet. And that's where it kind of failed. You look at some of these things, they're like, they're, they were like a two inches thick, you know, and they some of them even had like a CD drive in them when Intel had tried to do. And uh, you're using a stylus who's basically running like actual actual Windows. I mean, just when you're when you're using a when you when you come up with a, a touch device, I mean, you need to completely write your interface, your your operating system. You can't use a desktop or a traditional operating system when it comes to that form factor because it just it doesn't work. We saw no. all these failed attempts. Even uh, Apple's first attempt at the, the Newton, basically they tried to make this thing with like a stylus and whatnot, and it just it, it didn't work. You know, and that, that, that's why I think the iPad is still the clear choice because right from the beginning, it was optimized for this platform, and it just it works exactly how you'd expect it. And everybody that picks up an iPad just automatically seems to know how to use it just because of how you interact with it with your hands. And I like the Apple Pencil better than the stylus for Surface. Like yeah. it just people complain, oh, it's so big. I'm like, no, it's the size of a pen or a pencil, which I'm used to holding my hand. Right, it right there. Yeah. This these smaller styluses just don't feel right. I'd say Microsoft, like they're not dead in the water. I'd say their Surface Pro X is more in line with being a good idea yeah. in terms of the latency of being able to draw on it and do artistic applications as an alternative to an iPad Pro. Sure, I can see that. But like I said, trying to get it to replace your desktop or your yeah. laptop, you're foolish. It just doesn't make sense to me in terms yeah. of ergonomics, in terms of functionality, yeah. in terms of power. Come on. Like a, a, a laptop that's too maybe three times more powerful than the, than these surface like goes is like the same price, if not even cheaper. I, yep. I just don't understand why you're trying to replace something like you, you have different devices for different purposes. And mm -hmm. if you, if you can't afford them all, well, I don't know. It's, that's your problem. <laughs> so at the end of the day here, when it comes to, to recommending uh, a tablet to, to really anybody, you know, whether you're just somebody who likes to consume content or somebody who just occasionally has to do uh, notes or email or any of that kind of stuff. When I, when I look at all of these available platforms, I'm talking Android, I'm talking iPad, and I'm talking the, the Surface products. It's really, I might seem a little bit biased. It is it is what it is. But for me, I, I can't recommend anything other than an iPad, honestly, at this point. Uh, people like to make the argument that, that these things are really expensive. I, I can make the argument in the other direction. Um, when you look at, uh, especially their own Pixel, uh, Google's own Pixel uh, tablet and some of these Surface devices, iPad is still cheaper, um, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. It, especially is, if you just get a regular like model, it's, and it's not just the, the like I said, it's not just the price. It does exactly what it is intended to do, and it does it very well with all of these other other kind of BS. I mean, you had mentioned the the keyboard. Uh, that's a completely optional thing uh, for me. That, that's completely unnecessary for this. I mean, let, let's it is set, unnecessary unless somebody really wants to try and use it as a laptop replacement. But I've never really been big on that either. If you really want a laptop, just get a laptop. Exactly. Right. That's exactly my point. If you've yeah. got all this money to burn in the begin with, to begin with, why don't you just get the proper device instead of getting a yep. half-assed micro computer that's posing as a as a tablet? Yep. Go get a real computer. Yep. Because at initially I was thinking, okay, price point, iPads are typically more expensive. But then when I was doing some browsing last They're night, really I'm like, not. no, yeah. these surfaces are not cheap, yeah. and the operating system is just not tablet friendly. Yep. It's windows and it's a microsoft underpowered windows you get what yep. you it's not even what you get what you pay for it's no just, i don't, I don't know 
what this is. Yeah. Well, we had mentioned, uh, you know, in our very early episodes here where uh, we had talked about uh, that Surface event and how cool we thought the technology and everything was. And then we actually saw some of the stuff being reviewed and that, um, that, that X, that Surface X, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't even run on the friggin' thing. So, yeah, no. the hardware and everything looks really cool. But, I mean, if at the end of the day, if it can't run the apps that these people that are purchasing this need it for, it's dead on arrival. <laughs> yeah, because, you know what, an iPad can already do all these drawing applications yep. and has a fan, I'd say, like I said, a better a better pen. Yep. Let's just let's be frank about it. I just, personally, I think the design is much better. So, at this point, until... Microsoft does something be- like just decides to scrap the whole Windows idea and go with an actual dedicated tablet operating system. I'm, I have zero interest. And in terms of Android, yep. it just it just flies against the whole policy of what makes Android Android with the yep. whole open source, multiple manufacturers. <clears throat> Are they ever going to be able to decide on something unified? Yep. Who knows? We'll see what happens at CES if some something comes out of the fray here. But at this point. I'm kind of with you on this one. I, I can't really recommend other, anything other than iPad because my personal philosophy, and we've both said this many times, you get what you pay for. Absolutely. Me, I don't cheap out. I wait and I get the best. That's it. I don't. And I'll make other sacrifice if I want to buy something and I want to spend yep. the extra money. I'll make sacrifices elsewhere in my life. So that's that's just how it goes. Hey, that's not even good advice for if you're in the market for tablet. That's just good advice in general. Uh, save your money and, and and like you said, get get what you pay for. And uh, if you cheap out, uh, this is one thing I always tell people in any of this kind of stuff. If you cheap out and you have to buy things multiple times, that actually costs you more money than if you were to maybe just save your money and get the best that you can get and maybe only have to ever buy it once. That is actually the cheaper approach instead of buying a whole bunch of other crap. And to these companies, stop trying to be a jack of all trades, a master of none. Focus on what you're good at. Don't try to just oh. shoehorn all this functionality that ends up taking away from from the prime functionality. Like like with i with Apple, please don't respond to the internet mobs that are just looking for clicks on their videos yeah. and likes and all these just stupid theories of what p- potential where the iPad could go. It's fine the way it is. Yeah, we need to start looking at other zones of where Apple can innovate now. And I'm sure there's more innovations that can be done with sure. the iPad. But there, like we said, there's AR. There's other ways that they can start to look to innovate. Don't don't broke. Don't break what's already fixed. Bingo. Good point. All right, man. We're going to take a, a bit of a break here, and we're going to come back with our final bite segment for the week. And this is a very special one this week. We're going to be talking about how technology and sports and how they intersect. And we're not going to be alone in this segment. We're going to have a very special guest with our us here. Our first special guest. Our very first special guest. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. This week's episode is brought to you by Microplay in Brantford, Ontario, Canada, located at 265 King George Road. Visit Chris and the gang for all of your video game needs. All right, guys, Big Joe and Mike back here on HTM Tech. For our final bite segment this week, Mike, we have a very special guest, a man who needs no introduction, but he'll get a little bit of one anyways. He is host of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, host of Hashtag HTM Sports, and just recently with Mr. Stevie Richards doing the HTM Playoff Show. Very interesting pretty, stuff, man. Pretty close, man. Hitting the playoffs, but yeah. Hitting the playoffs, that's right, yeah. I'm listening to the HTM show. Sports, I should know the name. The Monday of it. locker room. I like. I, I swear, <laughs> all I do is sit here at this desk and record shows for people's earhole enjoyment. Before we, we get into the actual topic, tell us a little bit about uh, for those who want to hear what's been going off in the uh, going on in the NFL playoffs. Some interesting stuff, right? 
Man, th- this weekend was the uh, basically the kickoff of the uh, divisional round. The evil empire is over. The mm-hmm. Patriots are done. I have a feeling uh, we, we may have seen Tom Brady's last pass as a New England Patriot, which happened to be a pick six. Yep. I expect that he will be the starting quarterback of the Los Angeles Chargers next year. Um, the Philadelphia Eagles, they went and they laid an egg because, you know, that's what the Eagles do. I'm sure Stevie <laughs> will have a whole lot of feelings about that tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and I got I got to give it up to the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. Because not that's only did the Minnesota Vikings go down to New Orleans and get a big win, now my Green Bay Packers don't have to play the New Orleans Saints. <laughs> we get the Seattle Seahawks Man. who are beat up, so beat up that they had to go and bring in Marshawn Lynch. And Minnesota gets to go all the way to San Francisco and just get absolutely destroyed. I'm looking forward to a uh, Seattle versus San Francisco NFC championship game. And can we just give the Baltimore Ravens the trophy already? I'm waiting for my Kansas City Chiefs to start playing there. Ever since Patrick Mahomes came to the league, I mean, he's a very exciting player to watch. I'm looking forward. Um, I would want to see them take the whole thing. I mean, that might be a bit of a stretch, but uh, yeah, my favorite uh, team going right now. And, and actually, you know, thanks to HDM Sports, I kinda, it's kind of rejuvenated my interest in uh, watching sports again. So thank you to you and Rick for that one. Well, we do what we can. I, I love my homeboy. Yes. I, I'm a, I, I do enjoy me some Patrick Mahomes, but ever since he got that ankle injury, yeah. like early, early on this season, he just hasn't been right. And mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to be right until next season. And you have Andy Reid as your head coach. Yes. And, and Andy Reid just cannot win playoff games. So <laughs> We'll see how that kind of goes. But to, to get to our greater topic here, uh, we're going to talk about how sports and how technology kind of intersect here. And I want to start off on uh, kind of the positive note before we get to some of the negative stuff. I think uh, one real positive when it comes to this stuff is uh, using virtual reality and kind of augmented reality to help uh, train some of these uh, players. And specifically the one that uh, I saw here that uh, you had sent to me, Mike, here is uh, in Stanford, they're essentially kind of training uh, quarterbacks on how to kind of read the play whatnot without having to take the hits. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, actually this article originally came from Jargo. So yeah. maybe you can start us off here. And tell us uh, why this caught your eye. Well, originally this was part of a HBO documentary when they do those uh, HBO sports. I forget what the hell it's actually called, but I had saw this feature on there and this had probably been, wow, had to be four or five years ago now. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- there were several college teams that are picking this up, Clemson being one of them, and we've all seen how good Trevor Lawrence can be. Yep. And going all the way now into the NFL, there's like a half a dozen NFL teams that are using this, the Dallas Cowboys being one of them, because Jerry Jones has way too much money that he knows <laughs> what to do with. Yep. And if he can make a quarterback halfway decent, he's going to do it. Um This is really cool because you're getting all of the mental reps. You're still going through all of the motions, but you're not taking hits from, you know, 275 pound linemen, which absolutely rejuvenates your career. Hell, maybe you can actually break Tom Brady's record. The guy says that he wants to play until he's 45. He's not getting hit. Seems to work out all right for him. Um, I think this is really cool because they can run all kinds of schemes. Yep. They can run basically whatever they want to at a quarterback, and he just has to basically mentally figure it out. It's almost like playing a live-action game of Madden. Yep, and then be able to kind of uh, go through their progressions is uh, the term of the, the quarterbacks to kind of, you know, basically they have their play kind of set up, and, you know, here's your, your primary receiver, and if he's not open, then go on down the line and kind of read. So I think that, that's a, a really good tool for a quarterback. And, I mean, this isn't just limited to the quarterback position. Uh, you can do a lot more with this. So it's a, a very cool use of technology, in my opinion, when it comes to to, to this whole thing. So and You have to assume beyond, they're using yep. it. I'm sorry to cut you off, Mike. No, please, it, you, go ahead. 
you have to assume that they're going to start using this technology if they're not already mm-hmm. for like middle linebackers to yes. read quarterbacks. Yep. And extending beyond football too, the NHL starting to pick up this technology. I know the Rangers starting to use this, the yep. Kings. So for goalie training, it's 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 definitely something that's in the works, and it's people seem to be enjoying this. It's it's feasible. You have to assume too that it won't be long before Major League Baseball gets on this train. If yeah. you get enough footage of any pitcher, you can go in there and basically have batting practice against Soriano. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think another benefit of the technology too, and this uh, could potentially be a hindrance too. But I think uh, one really good positive too with uh, the, all the advancements in camera work, we see more of the action now than we have ever seen before. You know, I originally started watching baseball and hockey. You know, the cameras were pretty fixed. There was similar to professional wrestling, kind of a hard cam that only kind of showed one angle. And there was a lot of stuff that we don't see now. I mean, we see almost everything that happens now. And that's actually a good segue into what we were uh, kind of talking about last night with AR technology. Mm-hmm. And specifically when I was looking into this, uh, the Hawkeye technology yes, really yeah. caught my eye yeah. in terms of what you're saying in terms of camera placement now we have it all across the field originally this started with tennis adopted into badminton volleyball now mm-hmm. soccer starting to pick this up and if, if anybody doesn't know what hawkeye is essentially you have an overlay of cameras all around the field just capturing all the geospatial technology here and essentially what it's trying to do now is it's trying to predict the trajectory of the ball or the moving option yeah. uh, of moving objects the accuracy is just like impeccable and really, I mean, what, what are the future of blown plays in, in, this, in this scenario? I mean, it's, we still need humans to assist in this regard for mm-hmm. now. But, but I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a promising technology. That, I know uh, recently on HGM Sports, I knew, uh, you know, 2019, especially in the NFL, has just been plagued by bad refereeing and bad calls and whatnot. This isn't something that's brand new. I mean, bad refereeing and bad calls, I mean, just have been around since the beginning of uh, professional sports. So it's, it's nothing new, but with this added kind of technology, I think it's kind of almost being brought to the forefront. And now these issues with these referees, I think it's kind of being magnified, the problem. So I think that's uh, something that's a bit of a side effect and kind of in a bad way with this whole thing. Well, Rick and I talked about this not too awful long ago. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that's really going on is, and you brought up all the cameras everywhere, right? Yep. Even though my webcam just magically died for no apparent reason. That's still pictures of classic, by the way. (laughs) But we, we have cameras everywhere. And that really started to me with the XFL. Mm Mm-hmm. The NFL stole so many ideas as far as presentation goes from the XFL. And as we're looking at this now, it used to be you would have like two games on television a week. And that's all that you were going to get. And they would devote all the cameras to those two games. Well, now we have every game every week in every market on television. We've got 500 cameras on it. We've got cameras in the freaking pylons at the end zone, for God's sake, Mm -hmm. so that we can get all these shots. We can get all these angles. Has the officiating actually gotten worse or are we just noticing it now? Because we're seeing it from 500 different angles, eight games every week. And that's the thing, kind of getting ready for this episode. You know, I put together a, a playlist of videos of just like blown calls and like multiple spurts, especially baseball, uh, you know, calls of being safe on, on first and second and whatnot. I mean, there's like 20 plus videos. I just kind of string them all together. And now with the, the replay kind of rule, it just said to me, it uh, kind of, it almost in kind of pro wrestling terms when this, with this kind of stuff, I mean, it's, it's almost kind of burying the, the referees and the umpires in, especially in the case of baseball. 
I'd say it's causing a lot of confusion too, especially with the NFL. Like again, I'm the observer here. I'm not the expert, but what I see from like the whole pass interference rule controversy mm. and trying to add more layers of technology onto it to solve the problem almost seems to be exacerbating it and making it more confusing where you have coaches saying, does anybody even understand what the rule is anymore? <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, we have so much debate over yeah. this now where possibly with the AR, this, do you think this would start to mitigate some of these problems? Yeah, you have to think so, because I have to think that part of the problem is human pride, right? Hmm. Like, the same guys who have to overturn these calls are the guys that got them wrong to begin with. Yep. And nobody wants to do that. What is it? The pass interference is like 19.4% when they actually overturn <laughs> the call. Yeah. And that's if they even take a look at it. We saw it with the New Orleans Saints yesterday. That was, to me anyway, that was a clear push-off by Minnesota in yeah. order to get open for that final touchdown. Mm -hmm. And they didn't even take a look at it. Like, what are you supposed to do? Like, the rule is here, we have the technology, and you just refuse to do it. Now, on the other flip side of this, too, the argument can be made, you know, these televised sports games, I mean, it's it's a t it's being presented like it was a TV show, it's supposed to be entertaining, uh, this kind of controversy or whatnot. You can make the argument, it's, it, it kind of adds to the suspense and adds to the entertainment of uh, and the comedy of the whole aspect of it, too, right? So that's another way to kind of approach it. Yeah, you know what? I actually posed that question to you last night. I thought I'd yeah. like to see Jargo's opinion on that because I'm seeing some opinions coming out. Like, what not this actually adding to the narrative of the game? All these can, endless yeah. debates we have over time, all these historical blown calls. When we get rid of that, are we almost sanitizing the game too much and making it boring? Yeah, because, I mean, the human element has to be part of of it right like especially when we get into baseball right mm -hmm. if i'm on the pitcher's mound and i've had this umpire the specific umpire is notorious for calling the ball four inches outside <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna throw the ball four inches outside every damn pitch and if the umpire is gonna call it then it's on the hitter to adjust mm -hmm. you know what do you think about the future of baseball umpires so let's let's in perspective right now what if they're using uh track man Right now, that's the technology they use in the MLB as their AR to, to judge. And it's, it's, it's highly inaccurate, too, because it won't catch certain types of pitches, especially, let's say, for example, um, the pitch hits the ground, bounces into the strike zone. The <laughs> cameras may not necessarily pick that up, whereas now there's a lot of chatter that Hawkeye may be the next logical replacement. I know that the MLB recently did a five-year labor deal with the Umpires Association to work together to implement this technology. No jobs are really out to pasture yet. What do you guys think after five years of implementing this technology? They're starting in the minor leagues right now. Inevitably, this is going to go to the majors. We're, we, we, so. There's no doubt about that. What do you think about the future of umpiring on the human side? Well, I think the biggest thing right now is the system that they're using. They're using Doppler radar. Uh, which is basically the same thing that they use to track thunderstorms, to track tornadoes. Doppler yeah. radar indicates that we have a rotation in the clouds here. Yeah. We all know how accurate our local weather report is, and so is their system. Uh, the problem that I have is the way that things are now, and perhaps this will change with Hawkeye. I don't know. But it's awful hard to predict what a baseball is going to do. If you've got somebody out there who's throwing a slider, you know, <laughs> yeah, when it... Actually, as it's coming at you, it looks like it's going to go over the plate, and then it cuts. 
it, where, how are we measuring the ball? Are we measuring it once it hits the catcher's glove? Are we measuring it at the front of home plate? There's so many variables that have to be taken into consideration before the technology is actually going to be accurate. The other issue that I have is it sounds like they have an, like a, basically like an iPhone in the umpire's pocket that's connected to an IFB, like an in-ear headset hmm. that's telling him ball or strike. Okay, well, let's say it is like a ball that bounces over the plate. Can the does the umpire have the authority to overrule that or does he have to call it exactly how the system is telling him? There's just so many variables and baseball is a game of tradition. Yeah. So a lot more confusion, a lot more layers. I think it's almost in this sense scenario until they figure it out, it's almost lengthening the game a lot more, making the game slow down a lot more to do all these judgment calls whereas at some point, we, Joe and I had this discussion with, with self-driving cars, for example. Yeah. Can this technology and humans coexist at some point? Is one going to have to outdo the other? That's the that's, thing. That's the thing. Yeah, because, I Which, mean, on, when it comes to that kind of stuff on every other front, we had mentioned you know, when it comes to self-driving cars, when it comes to, say, in your workplace, having um, automated robots stocking shelves and that kind of stuff, it's the type of thing really where things kind of – uh, the robotics and the humans kind of being side by side, there's going to potentially always be uh, room for error there, especially when you have the human element there. Um, it, it, robots just can't take that into account very well. So it's got to kind of be one or the other. With sports, I mean, just it, it's really not cut and dry. I, I, I just don't see there being a point to where it, taking that human element completely out of the referee or the umpire position. I think there's always going to have to be some type of human uh, intervention or involvement there because otherwise, like, like we had uh, kind of mentioned, I think then you kind of almost take the entertainment aspect out of the whole thing. It would become just too dry. Or does it increase it in a completely different way? That's, As we're yeah. talking about this, the VR technology, we're talking about AR technology. What comes first? That where the humans just say, no, we're not going to incorporate any of this. It's just, it's overcomplicating everything. Mm -hmm. Or the games themselves just evolve to a point where we literally are playing live action Madden. Where instead of, you know, everybody sitting down to play on a PS4, you put on a VR headset with like five of your buddies and you're going out and you're basically playing football in your living room with absolutely zero risk online and professional sports just kind of goes away because we don't need them anymore. <laughs> I'm playing my own sport. I'm playing NBA 2k 40 and uh, <laughs> yes. there is no more nba it's just you know Man. a bunch of guys basically playing pickup games online never thought about it from that angle yeah true virtual reality complete omnipresent yeah i mean we already see it somewhat to some extent with esports now so you know with um these uh online role-playing games and things like uh, rocket league and this kind of stuff it's uh it, it almost kind of feels like yeah it is going that direction well, and I think it, we're almost acclimatizing people to it now. We, we already talked about the VR technology that Stanford created for quarterbacks. It's not just for quarterbacks no. and the players. It's for the audience themselves, right? So I've seen their concepts of where you can strap on this headset. And now not only are you watching a screen of the game, but you're seeing all the stat overlays on the side, mm -hmm. instant replays, historical footage, all within your field of view. It's going to totally transform the experience. And then when you add the whole artificial element to it, it's it's not it's not too far out there. 
Yeah, it's one of those things. It sounds completely ridiculous, but you know, 20 years ago, so did the iPhone 10, yeah. let alone the iPhone 11. Like, yeah. you, just in theory, you were like, "There's no way that technology is going to advance that far over the course of 20 years." Yeah, Think nice. of where technology is going to be 20 years from now. Yeah, and even just this year, um, we're going to be talking. I think in the next probably episode or two, Mike, we're going to be talking what's going on with CES, and apparently there's a lot of robotic stuff uh, that's going to be shown there. So that's going to be a big theme this week. Maybe we'll see some uh, stuff when it comes to the sports and stuff uh, shown there. So it's something that we'll, we'll keep an eye on, and if we see anything that uh, kind of correlates with this stuff, we'll be sure to, to mention it. Well, it goes back to this theme we've been talking about lately, this whole coming civil war between the robots and the human beings. And and I keep thinking back to some of that footage I saw of when they were talking about the Hawkeye mm-hmm. and how you've, you've got players openly saying, oh, damn you, Hawkeye, you know, like <laughs> arguing against the calls. And, yeah. and you know, at, at some point, something's got to give, I think, where it's got to be one or the other. I don't know. I don't want to try to view things in that black and white terms, but it's yeah. like efficiency, right? Yeah. I, we talked about efficiency. To me, the logical thing to do with all of these sports, just put like a GPS chip in the ball, right? Yeah. I mean, that's going to be incredibly accurate. I don't. It's just a matter of at what rate can we get the information from the catcher's glove into the umpire's earpiece? Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that would be the big holdup. But I think that would be the best way to do it. It's just do digital GPS. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That does. What do you also? Yeah, sorry. Go, go, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. Um, also, kind of looking at some of the other like positives. I mean, obviously, the, like there's the worry about the whole replacement of the humans by machines, but there are definitely a lot of net positives. Going back to what we were talking about with training with VR, my big argument right now is that VR has its limitations in terms of what we can handle as human beings. Where I honestly think that AR yep. is really going to be something that is the next logical progression. And when I start to think about that from, say, a training point of view, because that is one of the things they highlighted in that one article I talked to you guys about. And also thinking about when we talked about in the first segment, Joe, with Microsoft HoloLens yep. and being able to overlay imagery through a visor. Think about the possibilities of how that could completely revolutionize the game. For example, quarterback could be running plays on their visor and sharing that information with the rest of the team. Like it's just it's just mind blowing what could happen and, and whether that improves the game, detracts from it. What are, what are your thoughts of, about the future of this stuff? I think that uh, you, you could really see the benefit, especially when it comes to individual sports. I'm talking like golf, uh, tennis, and whatnot. Especially with golf, you could uh, really kind of analyze your swing, be able to read the terrain. Uh, yeah, too. And then when it comes to the training aspect, being able to train and kind of see where you're going on with your swing and that kind of stuff. So I think that that uh, is a really cool thing there, too. It's the something you just can't make use of. And you could probably, if you were to play that way, you'd be kind of essentially learning about your swing in real time. And you can make adjustments on the fly instead of having to go like and analyze all the stuff after you're done playing a round of golf or something like that. So, yeah, we could see something like that, too. It seems completely feasible. I mean, we're, we've already seen the technology hit the mass populist market with Google Glass, right? The glass holes. But, yep. But as as you kind of think about it inside of a sports context, doesn't that take away from the game? I mean, like when, when you look at a, an average quarterback inside of the NFL, they can be really good if the situation is perfect. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to make the situation even more perfect for them. And what happens when you don't have that technology and you're too reliant on it? Kind of like we are, like you know, with yeah. our cell phones now and our, all this omnipresent technology. Who can do math in their head anymore? Who can remember phone numbers? Take yeah. that to a sports context. Can you really function without that extra technology once you become completely accustomed to it? That's a fair point. That's a really good point. 
next thing you know, the Patriots will be buying, you know, code breaker jammers <laughs> and, you know, just to make sure that the other team's uh, plays can't get called yes, into and the that's actually, I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you. <laughs> the uh, hacking division of the New England Patriots. Yes, yeah, you, we could see cheating to an even larger extent now. Who knows? The Russians hacked our football game. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, and, you know, and you know, crossing over into uh, into professional wrestling territory, I mean, we, we might as well, while we're here, maybe we can, uh, tight with technology, maybe we could find a technological or a robotic replacement for Mr. Vince McMahon. Well, I mean, are we sure that Vince is not a robot? I mean, to, for number one, <laughs> all right? I mean, let, let's go ahead and throw that out oh, there. Man. But we are seeing a lot of advancements inside of the technology. And when it comes to professional wrestling, they've been running those VR cameras at all of the big events. You can just yep. put on the visor and you can enjoy the entire arena, 360 degrees with a set of headphones. Yep. Yeah, Intel's it's, really into that right now with their True View technology. They've been testing this out at uh, various soccer matches. I know they're official partner of uh, Arsenal in the UK now where, like you said, they have these VR cameras all across the stadium. And now either you can strap on a VR headset or if you don't want to do that, you just want to sit in the stands, you can have a mobile app and you can view instant replays from any possible yeah. angle. So just complete and total immersion now. Can we fix it so that everything doesn't have to get shot through a fisheye, though? Yeah. <laughs> Like, at least with WWE, everything that they do it with is a fisheye lens, and I don't understand that at all. Yeah, the quality isn't all that great. I, I've tried that out uh, on the uh, the Google, the, the Daydream uh, headset thing. And what's interesting with that, too, is if you pan a little too far, too, you, you kind of see some weird stuff happening. You'll just see, like, a, an empty kind of blob there. So, I mean, it, it's cool technology. It's not perfect, and it's still kind of invasive. And it gives, frankly, it still gives me kind of a headache when you get started getting into that, uh, when you're wearing something that's kind of closing you off. You had mentioned this earlier in this episode, Michael, when you're wearing something that's completely closing you off, um, it, it's a really weird sensation. I know it's not the same for everybody. Uh, for me, with that kind of stuff, it just it always kind of messes me up. Does 3D that, bother you? 3D, but really bothers me. If I can, I can do about five minutes of it, and then I'm like nauseous. Yeah, same. Yep. I just can't. Yeah, do I don't it. think our brains can handle it yet. That's that's the thing. Like that's what I'm saying about the limitations of VR. I, I just don't think we can truly handle as human beings. We have limitations. Mm-hmm. Whereas AR, at least you're tethered to reality. You still have yeah. that that anchor right there, which makes it a little bit more feasible, in my opinion. And, and like I said, there's just so many more possibilities. You're not wearing this headset. You're not closed off from the rest of the world. But it's look at from the look at from the spectator's perspective about how much more it, this can enhance the game. Like for example, one of these new technologies. This is actually. Uh, virtual hybrid perimeter LED digiboard. They've been testing this out now where you can have certain signage on, on the sides and on the like the side of the rink, for example, where it'll actually change depending on what country you're actually watching from. So somebody in Canada, somebody in the UK, somebody in Australia could be all seeing different advertisements on the same frame depending on where you're located and with yep. the whole micro-targeting thing, because that's what AR is all about. It's about collecting yep. data on the viewer, about micro-targeting advertisements, where to the point where I could see eventually getting, where we're, we're all seeing a totally different game. And I'm just yep. wondering if that takes away from the shared experience where it becomes this whole individualized experience. I could see Amazon it's, getting all over that. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that too, because I'm seeing it in my line of work, television broadcasting, where we have what is called snipe teases, and that's that runs through a traditional Chiron, right? Which runs all the computer graphics and everything for like newscasts. Um, and basically, what happens is like, kind of like you. Let's say that you're shopping for a new chair, 
And the next thing you know, your Facebook feed is full of new chairs. Everybody wants you to buy a new chair. Well, that's kind of what snipe teasing is for these television stations where they can run specific ads targeted towards specific demographics during a specific commercial break. So we could be watching a very, very different game, like you mentioned. And then when it goes to commercial break, suddenly all I'm seeing are commercials for new chairs. (laughs) Yeah. And think about the the whole angle of the the traditional Super Bowl ad, right? We all yeah. talk about those famous ads we see during the Super Bowl. Now it's like, do we even have anything to talk about over the water cooler when everything is micro targeted to you specifically? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it's interesting. fascinating, crazy, and yeah. scary. There, there's so much to to kind of take in with, but this, I mean, there's so many positives. There's some negatives as well, and it's just one of those things where as it continues to evolve, it, it'll be interesting to see how. Um, how it all kind of unfolds because, uh, like I said, there's there's a lot of positive and then there's some negative aspects to it too. So it's all whatever the aliens want. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> absolutely. The reptilians. All right, guys. Well, I think that uh, about wraps up. Before we go, I'll give Michael Jargo here an open forum to just go ahead and plug away. Oh man, an open forum. Does yes. that mean I can go as long as I want? I want to plug yes. New Japan World and I want to <laughs> plug World of Stardom yes. and and anything that takes your attention away from the WWE Absolutely. and how awful it is. Yes. Uh, but mostly I want to plug the HTM podcast network, which you can find online hitting the marks.com um, as well. You can find us on Twitter at HTMPWPod. Find me at not Jargo. Find my tag team partner, Rick Vickery at the real RBV. Hell find Stevie at BWO Stevie, big Stevie cool. Um, find the Hameen media group at Hameen media group. Yeah. We got real, real creative with that one. Um, and otherwise you can just stay right tuned right here to this network. And chances are, I will be in your ear holes at least four days a week. And yes, it's it's quite tiresome. I need a robot of myself, Joe. <laughs> right. I am tired. I am ready for things to advance to the point where I can wally, where I can just sit around in a big comfy chair and it just like drives me around wherever I go. I'm ready for that. Send me to freaking Mars if I can get on the Wally ship. You could do like the the Sheldon Cooper thing here. You have a mobile presence device. You could just be uh, where you are, and then you can have this thing go out, pretending to be you wherever you need to be. Yeah. That's exactly what I need. Like Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> yes. That about uh, wraps up for this week. But before we go, we have been ending these episodes off with some music. And I have the, the pick here this week. And I think this one is pretty appropriate considering that we've been talking about some sports. And I know that early on, that uh, over on the HTM Sports, you guys used to use this song quite a bit, especially when it came to college football. So we're getting off with some Panic at the Disco. And this is called High Hopes. And we'll see you guys on the next one. Take care, guys. Mama said, don't give up, it's a little